Good morning and welcome to Park Church. We're glad that you are here with us again. My name is Matt. I am one of the pastors here on staff. And um, we're, continuing, we're continuing in this series up here called You Do Who You Are. The idea behind this series is that God has made us who we are. And God hasn't just made us anything, but God has made us particular um, things, uh, people, people in the world, because God, God wants us to do something in the world. And so throughout this series, we're kind of exploring the different identities of who God has made us to be so that as we can connect with those identities and understand those and live with them, um, all we need to do is we just do who we are. We do who God has made us to be. And so we're spending two weeks on each of the identities we're looking at. Um, We spent two weeks on the fact that we're children of God. Next week, we're going to start talking about how we're servants of God. And the week after, how we're God's family. And that makes us brothers and sisters Uh, Last week, we talked about how we are God's missionaries, and we're going to continue that. We're going to continue that this Sunday. Um, As Rich said in his prayer, we are Christ's ambassadors. And the way we talked about this last week was with this passage up here. This is written by a man named Paul. Paul was a first century missionary. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And this is what he wrote to a community of uh, people in a town called Corinth. That's why the letter is called the Corinthians. Um, this, is, this, was a, this was a church community, which is not a building. A church is a people. And he's writing to them to help them understand how they are to be in the world, how they should function in the world. And Paul writes to them, So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. If you were here last week, you would have heard all about this. I'm just going to recap it for you in case you missed it. Um, Last week, we talked about how the love of Christ is the thing that urges us on, that pushes us forward, because God's love in Christ is universal. It's for everyone. In fact, the passage right before this, Paul writes, uh, that is, in Christ, in Jesus, God God was reconciling the world to himself. That means everyone, not counting their trespasses, not counting their sins against them, which, uh, you know, not counting all of the stuff that we have done to put a barrier up between us and God, all the ways we've walked away from God, all the ways that we have turned away. God has taken all those things. He's thrown them in the trash. He's not counting those things against us anymore. And then Paul writes, and he is entrusting us. He has entrusted us with this message, with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors of that message. Our calling as a community, as Christians together, as missionaries, is to figure out ways to bring this message into the world around us. That's really what we're here for as our identity. Um, We can do this. Last week, I told you how we don't need to go across the planet to be a missionary. That's what we usually think of, right? But you don't need to go across the planet to be a missionary. You can go across the street or across the room or across the hall, wherever you need to go, because we don't live in a world where everyone is Christian. We just, we just, we just don't live in that world. Um, people talk about this society nowadays as being what's called post-Christian. We talked about that last week. Um, People, people here grew up maybe as Christians. Maybe you have a memory of going to church as a kid, the people who were surrounded with. Maybe they went to Sunday school. Um, 
Maybe they even believe in God in some sense. They're not opposed to Christianity. They're not opposed to God or faith or anything like that. But they're just post-Christian because the picture of Christianity, the church of Christians that they got when they were younger, um, they kind of grew past, they moved on. And that's not compelling to them anymore. And so they're post-Christian. So the point is, you don't need to go across the world to be a missionary. You just have to go across the street. Um, So we're called to be missionaries where we are in the places we work, the places we spend our time, school, the office, um, if you're a mom, the playground, or wherever you spend your time. We're called to be missionaries in our neighborhoods, the place that we live, with our neighbors, um, even in our own homes sometimes. This world that we live in, this is our mission field for this morning. So we're sent to relay this message to be ambassadors because God is making his appeal through us. And we said last week, right, we are God's strategy. And it sounds weird to think of like that, but apparently we are God's strategy. And that means that you are God's strategy. God wants to reach this broken and hurting world, and he chose you to do it through. God is making his appeal through us. So that was last week. Um, Over the course of this past week, We've talked a lot about this together in our, in our, in our friendships, in our relationships, in our community groups. Um, a community group, by the way, is a group of people who are kind of like doing life and doing faith together, and we meet weekly to talk about how what we hear from up here impacts our lives. In our community group this week, we had a really, really lively conversation about, um, about what it means to be a missionary, about kind of what we're called to do, what the hopes are and whatnot, but the part that was the most lively for us was actually what holds us back from being missionaries. When we think about this call to be a missionary in our world, what is it that holds us back? So I'm going to give you a few of these, and I bet you'll probably connect with one or two of these. God is making his appeal through us. But that's really hard to imagine when our faith is so unappealing. Right? Like, um, because when I'm supposed to be patient, I'm impatient. Or when I'm supposed to be kind, I'm kind of not kind. Or when I'm called to be generous, I'm stingy. Um, When I'm called to self-sacrifice, to give of myself, I end up being selfish and taking for myself. And so my faith, our faith, isn't, isn't very appealing. So it's hard to be a missionary. It's hard to imagine God making his appeal through us if we're not appealing ourselves. Um, it seems like God should have chosen a better strategy than this. So that's one of the things that really holds us back. That, that's one of the things that holds us back um, from really being missionaries. Another thing that holds us back is just this understanding altogether. I know a lot of people got hung up on the idea that we are missionaries because aren't missionaries people who go across the world? And the answer is yes, they do that, but they also do that right here in Monmouth County. Don't you have to go across the world? Don't you have to sell everything you have? Um, don't you have to do things like that? And the answer is you can, but you don't need to. Um, It's really like a mind shift, and it's why last week I challenged you to change your mind about this, that when you go into the situations you're called to go into, into work, home, wherever it is, think about yourself through this lens. How am I being a missionary to these people? That's another thing that holds us back. Another thing that holds us back is that um, in this culture, in this climate, and this is totally understandable, we don't want to be associated with ramming religion down people's throats, right? Like, we don't want to be pushy. We don't want to overstep bounds. We don't want to be insensitive to other people's religious beliefs. And so given that situation, how do we think of ourselves and do missionary stuff um, in that context? And so it holds us back. Another thing that holds us back 
is simply the risk that's involved with being a missionary in this, in this world, in this culture. For some of us, just making it public to our friends and family and coworkers that we're Christians, like, that's enough of a challenge for us. Uh, but it's, it's a huge risk. It's a bigger risk to actually go into those situations as a missionary because what if you don't follow through? What's that going to communicate? What's that going to say? What if you try and um, your witness fails? Because once you kind of put yourself out there, you're a little bit on display. And that's challenging. That's a, I mean, that's a high-pressure thing. And, kind of, and so it holds us back. There's a lot of risk involved. There's also the risk involved of we have to give up our time to do this. We have to give up our energy. We have to give up some of our resources. And will we have enough? There's a significant amount of risk involved because when you're reaching out to people who, who are hurting or who are needy um, or who are wounded, that that woundedness, that hurt will come onto us. And can I take that? Can I handle that? Do I have the capacity to take on someone else's um, wounds? And so there's, there's risk involved there. Um, the last thing I'll say that we uh, just are kind of afraid of, that kind of holds us back, is just not knowing what to do. It's not that we don't love Jesus. It's not that we're um, embarrassed. It's not that we don't want people to share in this good news that we have. Um, it's just that we don't know what to do. If being a missionary means going halfway across the world and digging a well, or it means building a house or something, that's something we can do, right? We can sign up for an organization, we can get our passport, our malaria shots, and there's a whole checklist of things that we do. And we could do that, that's concrete. If there's a checklist involved, we could do it. If we're paid to do a job, there's a job description. We can do that. But this call to be a missionary in our own context, given all of these issues, um, it's challenging simply to know what to do. What do you do? What do you say? How do you say it? All of that sort of stuff. And so that's really what we're going to focus on this morning. Just very simple, um, what do you do? Boots on the ground, Monday morning, or really like Sunday afternoon as soon as you leave, what, what do you do? Before we get there, though, I want to uh, just focus on two things I didn't really have a chance to say last week that have to do with this passage up here. Um, I think these two things will actually help us to kind of um, lessen the ability of those things that hold us back. It'll lessen their ability to actually hold us back. And the first, the first is simply this. God is making his appeal through us. It's God who is making his appeal. God is the one who is doing the work. God is the one who is um, speaking. God is the one who, when we're flubbing through our words, God is speaking clearly. Um, God is the one who is acting through our actions. God is making the appeal. Somehow God does this. He does it sometimes through us. Sometimes he does it because of us. Sometimes he does it in spite of us. Sometimes he does it around us. Sometimes he does it in ways that we never imagined he would actually do it. Um, the fact is, we don't, we don't have the power to do this on our own. We just don't. We need God's help to do it. And Jesus was actually very clear that this is the case. Because every time Jesus sent out a bunch of his disciples, a bunch of his followers, to go and be missionaries, to go be ambassadors, to go share this good news with the world around us, um, he told them, you don't have what you need, but I'm going to give you what you need. All right? So in the Gospel of Luke, listen to how this works out. This was after Jesus died and was raised from the dead. His followers are gathered around them, and he's going to send them out. 
And Jesus says, um, thus it is written that the Messiah, that's me, is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's, you are to go and proclaim forgiveness to all nations. Beginning with Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus is telling him, here's the mission. I'm going to send you to go do it. You don't have what you need, so hold on for a second. And then we're going to clothe you with all the power that you need. And then in the second volume of Luke's book, it's called Acts, um, Jesus continues, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere to the ends of the earth. And right after this, on the festival called Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, God pours his Holy Spirit out upon these followers, and they're able to go out that day, proclaim the good news, hundreds and thousands of people come to know Jesus, and the mission, the mission begins. They didn't have what they needed, God promised to give them what they needed, because it's God who's making his appeal through them. In the Gospel of John, um, it works the same exact way. Jesus gathers his disciples, and he says to them, peace be with you. See, as the Father has sent me, that is, like, as God the Father has sent me into this world to do my mission, to reconcile the world to himself, so I send you to go and do your mission. And he said, uh, here's what you need, though. You need the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Matthew, it works the same exact way. Um, listen to how Matthew writes. He says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And let me just say, um, if you doubt that your faith is good enough to be a missionary, that your faith is strong enough to be um, an ambassador in the world, if you even doubt God, if you doubt Jesus himself, um, the very people that Jesus was commissioning to go and make disciples, to be his missionaries, at that very moment, looking at him face to face, resurrected Jesus, some people worshiped, but some people doubted. And he still commissioned them anyway. So that means that your faith is good enough, like, because God is going to work through it. Uh, Matthew continues. He says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go and be missionaries, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, he says, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Jesus doesn't mean he's physically, literally with them always. He means he is with them in the power of his Holy Spirit, and he goes with them. And that is the way that God makes his appeal through us. God, God goes before us. He goes to prepare the way. God goes with us to empower us to do what we couldn't do on our own. God goes after us to clean up our mess, right? Um, to do the work that we couldn't do on, on our own. This is, how, this is how God makes his appeal to us. So uh, if you're worried that you can't do it because you're not good enough for something like that, don't worry about it. God makes his appeal. This whole point kind of hit home for me last week in our community group. One of the guys there told a story. Um, he was saying that his friend was a youth pastor. He was like a youth minister type. And they were going on a retreat one weekend. And it was a rough weekend for this guy. He like didn't have his, his talks to give to the kids. He didn't have those together really well. It was bad weather. It was disappointing. Um, but they're driving up. They're in a few vans. There's, there's all these high school kids in these vans. They're driving up. And what happens on the way up? It's bound to happen. 
Dagnabbit, blowout. Uh, uh, flat tire, right? So he's got to get out, change the flat tire. And if you've ever been in this situation, you know to do that, you have to take all the kids' bags out of the trunk, right? Throw them out on the highway, and then do the work of changing the tire. And he's doing that. And there's like, you know, 20 or 30 uh, pairs of eyes looking at him doing this, right? They're all in this van. They're all looking at him doing this. And he's not having a good time. He is, he is struggling. He's suffering. He's cursing. He's, you know, he's dropping things. It is hard for him. They could see he's like freaking out. Anyway, changes the tire, gets in the van, goes in the retreat. He kind of doesn't do a great job on the retreat. Like, he does an okay job, but not really great. And the weather kind of stinks, and it's not the experience he was hoping it would be for these kids. But on Sunday morning, one of the kids comes up to him. And this was a kid who he was really hoping would come to know Jesus at this, at this retreat. One of these kids comes up to him and says, you know, I think, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to follow Jesus. Like, this is my time. I'm ready to follow Jesus. And the youth pastor is like, oh man, that's amazing. I'm so thankful. It's great. I've been praying for you. Like, can you tell me what happened? Was it a talk I gave? Was it like the prayer time on the mountain? Was it your quiet time? Like, what was it that did it for you? He's like, no, it's not any of those things. It's when I watched you changing that tire. <laughs> I said to myself, if that guy can be a Christian, <laughs> if that guy can be a Christian, then I can be a Christian. Sometimes God makes his appeal in spite of us. God makes his appeal um, around us. God makes his appeal to the world, sometimes through the things that we wish we didn't even do. That's not to say do them, but um, sometimes God makes his appeal like that. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing, God makes his appeal, but God does make his appeal through us. Uh, freaking out with the flat tire and everything. God makes his appeal through us. And that's like God makes his appeal through you, through the real you. Not the fake you that you project so that you look good when other people see you, but like who you really are, your strengths and your weaknesses, your gifts and your not-so-gifts, right? Um, your successes and your failures, your experiences, your heart, your mind. This is what God, your skeletons, skeletons of the past, skeletons of the present, your skeletons of the future, which also is a great band name, right? Skeletons of the future. Uh, how could God, this is what I think of, um, how could God ever use me in this mission, right? Well, God can use you, and God does use you. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he addresses this directly. He's talking to this group of people, this group of Christians who he's gathered together um, to be missionaries, to reach out to that world. He's talking to them, and the Corinthian community was kind of like messed up. They were always competing with one another. Um, there were certain people who were like richer, who were more powerful, who had all these wonderful gifts and who were sparkling, shining models of what it meant to be a Jesus follower. And then there were other people who like weren't really like that. And they were poorer and they didn't have enough food and they didn't have it all together and all that sort of stuff. Um, and Paul knows that this sort of infighting is happening and he's looking at this community and he's saying to himself, I need these guys to go and be missionaries to their world. What do I have to say to them? And so he helps them imagine themselves as a body, like a human body with multiple parts, and the parts all do different things. And it's not really the case that some parts are more important than others. And this is what he writes to them. He writes to them, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, 
but it's the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There is a variety of gifts. Not everyone's the same. Not everyone has the same thing to offer. And what you have to offer is different than the person next to you or the person across the room or the person who you really wish you had their gifts. Like, what you have to offer is different than them. But what inevitably ends up happening is that you look around and see the other people with the gifts that you want. Or you see the other people with the lives that you want, or the successes that you want, or the strengths that you want, and they don't seem to have the weaknesses that you have. Their failures haven't been as um, spectacular or as dramatic. They don't share uh, the weaknesses. And so what we end up saying is, I can't actually be part of God's mission here. I can't do the work that God has called me to do, because I'm not as good as them. I'm not as worthy. I don't have what they have. And if this is you, Paul addresses you directly. He says, on the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker, not are weaker, that seem to be weaker, are indispensable. We can't do without them. If you think that your gifts, your ability, your ability to be a missionary, um, if that's something that holds you back from doing that, we can't do this without you. We need your gifts. And Paul says, look, if everyone was the same, the body wouldn't work. If everyone was an eye, where would the hearing be? If everyone was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? The hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you, or vice versa. Um, we all need one another to do this. And Paul actually says in the very first chapter of this letter, he gives the reasoning. He says, God, God shows what is weak. God shows what is low. God shows um, what is foolish, what is despised. Because the whole point is that it's God's power that matters and not our strengths, not our um, abilities, not our gifts. And in fact, it seems like the more confident we are in our strength, the less God is actually able to work through us. And so God chose what is low, what is foolish, what is despised to do this work. Um, his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. He didn't choose the perfect or the righteous or the altogether or the depressionless or the doubtless or the problemless, or the skeletonless. He chose us, people like you and me. And God is making his appeal through you. And so nothing about you needs to get in the way of that. The stuff that has brought you to this place, that's the stuff that God can use to reach out to this world. The mistakes you've made, the slips and the falls, the weaknesses that you've proven true again and again and again, um, you know, those aren't necessarily good things but they're not disqualifiers. In fact, they might be qualifiers so that we actually allow God's power, Christ's power to work in and through us. That's not to say that we shouldn't try to develop our gifts or to like, rid ourselves of the things that shouldn't be inside of us or to work on ourselves, but it is to say it shouldn't hold us back. You don't have to become someone else to be a missionary. You don't have to have it all together. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to borrow the identity of the person who you wish you had their gifts. Um, you could just be you. You could do you. And the power of Christ, the Spirit, will work through you. So those are the two things I wanted to say before we really get into like, the practical, like on-the-ground stuff. So back to you. God is making his appeal through you. Boots on the ground, Monday morning, Christ's ambassadors, God's missionary in the world. Um, what am I supposed to be doing? What I want to do this morning is just suggest three things, three ways 
These aren't, I don't even like the word ways because that makes it sound like it's a strategy. This is not that. It's just three, three modes of being in the world as missionaries. Um, these things don't, don't work in sequence, anything like that. Um, this is not like a way to like, get people to come onto your side or trick people or work as projects, nothing. This is just three ways to be a missionary in the world around. And um, the first way I'll say, I'll say it like this, it's through caring relationships. Another way of putting this could just be simply loving your neighbor. Um, if you've never stepped foot in a church before, never heard about Jesus, never really know anything, maybe you know that one of Jesus' big things is loving your neighbor. That's like kind of what he majored in, loving your neighbor. And he didn't just mean your literal neighbor, like the guy who lives across the street or next to you, although he, he does mean that too. But he also means your neighbor wherever you're at, at work, at school, um, the person who's in your way who could use help. The way that Jesus really kind of talks about this is through that famous parable of the Good Samaritan. He tells the story of the man who's on his way from one place to another, gets beaten down on the side of the road, he's stripped, he's naked, he's got nothing, he's, he's going to die in a ditch. Um, and these religious guys walk by and they can't give him the time of day, they don't want to get their hands dirty. And so a Samaritan walks by, a Samaritan was the enemy of the guy who was in the ditch, and he walks by, he sees the man, and he cares enough to care. And he bends down and he binds the man's wounds up. He puts him on his animal, brings him back into town, pays for him to get taken care of out of his own account. Um, and Jesus basically says, this is what it means to be a neighbor. Like that guy there, that's who your neighbor is, the guy who's in your way. And being a neighbor, it's caring enough to care. Caring relationships uh, is basically, basically a relationship where you choose to care when you don't have to when you choose to be um, a neighbor, when you choose to love your neighbor. Some people do this naturally. My wife, my wife is just so good at this. She has caring relationships like, like spilling over in her life. Um, one example of this, our oldest son, Zeke, uh, he has a friend who was just kind of being bullied at school, not being treated well. Um, the kid was really having a really hard time and Zeke would tell us about it. And um, we would talk to him about how you can be a good neighbor to your friend at school for sure. But um, the mom was also friends with Amanda. And so the, the next time we saw the mom at the baseball game or soccer game or whatever, um, what, what did Amanda do? Like, she didn't ignore it. She didn't act like it wasn't a problem. Um, but she went to the mom and said, like, I hear this is happening. Tell me about it. And mom shared how this is the hardest thing she's ever had to go through in life. How it's like, how do you parent a child through this? It's so unfair. It's so unjust. Um, how do you do this, especially when like, the teachers aren't coming through in the way that you hope that they would come through and whatnot? And Amanda listened, and um, she's a teacher, she's good with kids, so she used her gifts to be a missionary like this. This is part of it, is using your gifts. Um, she listened, she gave some advice and some wisdom and whatnot, but the thing that she didn't do is she didn't stop there. She took the risk of following through. She took the risk of like, getting involved in this woman's life in order to help her through it and to make it better for her. She had enough compassion to not ignore it and think to herself, well, it stinks for her, but that's not my problem. Missionaries don't think like that. Missionaries look around and say, God loves that person. That person is hurting, so I'm going to love that person. God has compassion on that person who needs it, so I'm going to have compassion on that person. I'm not going to ignore the hurt. I'm not going to ignore the wounds. I'm not going to ignore that need any longer. But that's not what we do a lot, is it? We ignore more than we don't. We see our coworkers, 
our classmates, our literal neighbors who are alone. We can sense their pain. We can sense their need. Maybe we can even say, gosh, if that person had God in their life, things would be different for them. But we just ignore it, don't we? The word ignore is kind of an interesting word if you think about it. Um, the G-N-O is where we get our word for knowledge from, right? Gno is like gnosis, knowledge. K-N-O, no. Um, the I means not, right? So to ignore means to not know. A missionary is called to do the opposite. It's to go and gno. It's to go and know people. Um, to get involved enough to know what they're going through. To get involved enough to care. Um, it's really caring, caring enough to care. Not in a way that we treat people as projects. Not in a way where we invest in their lives hoping that we get an investment. That's not what a missionary does. Um, a missionary invests in people's lives so that their life can get a return on the investment. A missionary invests in people's lives, has caring relationships, simply because a missionary loves people in the same way that God has loved us. Um, that's the way a missionary goes into the world. And you can do the same. Think about the guy in your office who's going through that divorce or who um, you know, is thinking about getting a divorce and how hard that is. You can share with them. Um, who keeps showing in your life? It, it, that, that person in your class who's not treated well or who's bullied. Um, the person in your office who's bullied. It's not just kids who get bullied. Um, the lonely neighbor, like the person who literally lives next door to you who has no one and who has nothing. Uh, you can form caring relationships with that. Choose, choose to care. Being a missionary in this world, in this context, it could be as simple as that. Until they ask you why you're caring. Until they say to you, why do you care about me so much? Why do you give yourself for me like this? Why do you love me like that? And then you're asked to speak. You're asked to speak about your faith. You're asked to speak about God, about Jesus. Um, you're called on to share. And so if caring relationships is the first thing, um, sharing relationships is the second. And don't worry, the third is not staring relationships or glaring relationships or um, comparing relationships. It's nothing like that. Part of being a missionary is relaying the message of reconciliation. It's sharing our faith with words. And this is where I know a lot of us get stuck. Because we don't want to be the people who are ramming religion down people's throats. Um, we think about the people who go door to door, knocking on the doors with the pamphlets and whatnot, and we don't want to be that. Um, I happen to really like those people. I love to engage with them and whatnot um, because they're just, I mean, they're out there doing it. I appreciate that. Um, we think about the people on the street corner who are yelling about Jesus or the guy in like the park or in the boardwalk who shoves a survey in your face about like, are you going to heaven or whatever? Um, or you think about the people who have these airtight arguments for like the existence of God proving that. And you're like, ah, I can't do that. I don't know the theology. I don't know the words to say. Um, how do, I, how do I share my faith? Now, none of those things, we're not proposing you do any of those things, because I, I actually don't think that those things communicate well at all in this culture. This is obviously a huge topic. We could spend a lot of time on this. Um, but really what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to one thing Jesus said once, that I think, although he said it 2,000 years ago, it really captures the way we can take a first step in sharing our faith with people who need to hear it. Um, there's a story in the Gospels 
of this time where Jesus goes to this town and there's this man there who is just really, really in a bad spot. He is possessed by a demon and it's a crazy demon and it has him, like he's shrieking, he's shouting, he's out of control, he's tearing his clothes off so he's naked. He lives in the graveyard because uh, like town can't contain him and they try to shackle him up and bind him with chains and he breaks free of the chain. I mean, this guy's in a bad spot. He's lived like this, he's suffered like this for a long time. Jesus comes along and Jesus does what Jesus does. He frees him from this demon. And in this really dramatic scene, this dramatic way, he changes this guy's life forever. And he's healed in an instant thanks to Jesus working in him. This man begs Jesus, can I come with you? Can I follow you? Because Jesus is always saying, follow me. Um, can I literally follow you and come with you? Because I want to be around someone who has that sort of life-changing power. And Jesus says something surprising. He says, no. He says, you can't come with me. Your place isn't with me like that. Instead, he says to him, he says, go home. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Declare how much God has done for you. You might not be able to prove God's existence. You might not know the theology that you need to, to convince someone that Jesus is the way and whatever the other way isn't the way. You might not have all the answers and, you know, you don't have all the answers because no one has all the answers. And if you think you do have all the answers, you really don't. Some things might not be answerable. Some things shouldn't be answered. But when the time is right, when the door is open, when the opportunity presents itself, you can talk about what God has done in your life. You could talk about how Jesus um, has changed you. You could talk about how following Jesus, about what that means for you. Can you? One of the ways that we learn to do this, it's one of the reasons why we do community groups like we do, um, is to give people practice talking about their faith together. It's not natural for us to talk about an invisible God all the time. Um, we could talk about the Yankees, we can talk about the struggles our kids are having or what work is like, but it's hard to talk about our faith with people. And so we do community groups like we do in order to give people a chance to practice that because it doesn't come up naturally. It's one of the reasons why the last two seasons of community groups, we've done these things called two-minute testimonies, where we have people just talk for two minutes about what God is doing in their lives. And for me, like for my group, it's like one of the best parts. I love hearing what people have to say, what, what people have to share. It reminds me what God has done in my life. It, it, it challenges me. It's, it's inspiring. It's just kind of neat to hear. Um, I encourage you, like, Join a group and get practice doing with this if you're not comfortable doing this um, in real life. But that's, that's practice. In real life, though, like boots on the ground, the way to do this is simply to connect, to connect the story of what God has done in your life with what you're hearing in the lives of other people. And let me tell you what I mean. If someone who you're talking to is um, going through the loss of a relationship, at the right time in the right way, Talk with them about the time you lost that relationship and what God did to get you through it. You could do that. It's not super theological. You don't have to even know the Bible to talk about that, but you could do that. Or someone who's broken. Tell them about the time that you were broken and how God took your pieces and put you back together and what that meant for you. You could do that. That's not too hard. Or talk about if they're struggling with loneliness. Um, besides actually entering into a caring relationship with them where you would alleviate their loneliness, um, talk about how your relationship with God makes it so that you're not as lonely anymore. Or how your relationship with the people um, who you're at church with, these are meaningful relationships. Um, talk about that with people and encourage them uh, that Jesus, Jesus alleviates loneliness. You could do that. Be, be real. 
Be open. Be honest. Don't make yourself look better than you are. Don't over-dramatize it. Don't sensationalize it. Um, it could be as simple as, I hear you, man. I went through something like that, and let me tell you what helped me. I learned to pray during that time, and it changed my life. Or, I hear what you've gone through, and I can't imagine that. Um, something that's really helped me is I learned to trust God with my anxiety rather than try to rely on myself for it. And that's, that's, that's changed my life. It, it doesn't need to be something that's huge or hard. Um, it's just a place to start. You know, Declare how much God has done for you. That's just a start. There's so much more we can say about this, but as we practice this, as we do this, the goal is to be able to talk about what God has done in our lives, to be able to talk about faith in the same way we talk about the Yankees or what our kids are doing or work or whatever else. Show people that God matters in your life, and that will tell the story of faith that you need to tell, and, and God will do the rest. God will, God will say what God needs to say through it. You know, I actually had someone come up to me uh, in between the services, and she was saying how she befriended this woman um, who she used to be friends with in high school, at her high school reunion, like a year ago. And since then, they've become really good friends. And she's been open that she's a Christian and blah, blah, blah. Um, well, at her birthday party, just like this past few days, um, this friend gave her a gift of a cross. And, the, and she asked the friend, like, why did you give this to me? Like, we don't really even talk about faith. Like, we don't share that much. Like, why did you give this to me? And the friend said to her, uh, because your faith is the strongest faith I've ever come across. Like, you have showed me more about God than I could have ever uh, learned from someone else. And she said to me out there, she's like, I barely even talked to her about these things. Um, but God somehow spoke through her in ways that she wasn't even expecting. This is what God does. God will do the rest. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to know everything. You don't need to um, do this because there's a third way here to be a missionary besides caring relationships and sharing relationships. Um, and this is what I'll say it is. It's just uh, inviting relationships. Invite people in to experience the Christian community, the church. The church, again, is not a building. You are not in a church. You are amongst a church. Um, invite people in to experience Christian community. There's a really good chance that you became a Christian or someone you know became a Christian because someone cared about them in a meaningful way, someone shared faith with them in a meaningful way, and then someone invited them in uh, to see the, the Christian community and see that it's not just one person's ideas, it's not just a bunch of abstract beliefs, but when you see it lived in real life by real people, it's compelling. I never do this, but I'm going to uh, read an excerpt from a book here. It's called Everyday Church. It looks like this. It's by a guy named Tim Chester and a guy named Steve Timmis. They kind of write together. Um, they write what I would like to say but can't say, and they say it better than I'm going to say it. So here we go. They're talking about how um, being a missionary sometimes just involves exposing people to the Christian community. That's what we're talking about here. They write here, as in like within the Christian community, People will not only hear the gospel word, but they'll see it being loved and lived. They will see the power of the gospel to unite disparate people and make them family. They will also see us failing and falling out, but then see grace in action. They will hear our message with a variety of voices and experiences. The different gifts God has given us work together to create a compelling testimony to the gospel. 
By exposure to the Christian community, we mean, of course, more than attending a weekly meeting. We mean being introduced to the networks of relationships that make up the church. We mean sharing in the life of the community, in the context of everyday life. Um, if you're concerned that you don't know what to say, that you don't have the arguments, often people dismiss our intellectual arguments, but they find it much harder to dismiss the compelling witness of the Christian community. Now, if your church experience is a good one, this sounds great. If your church experience stinks, this sounds like a nightmare. It's why we put so much into making it so that our church experience is a good one. Because we want to invite people in so that they can see, oh yeah, Christians are actually like decent people. Why is that? Oh, it's because God is really great. Um, in this world, in this post-Christian context, this is really like an effective way to reach out to people. It's not that people are anti-Christian, anti-church, anti-Jesus, but the pictures they got of the church, the pictures they got of Jesus, the pictures they got of Christians is really, really bad. It's really uncompelling. So um, one of the most effective ways to be a missionary towards those people is simply by giving them a compelling picture of what faith, of what Christianity, of what Jesus lived out amongst real people in real community in real life is all about. So like, this is kind of a joke, but invite people to Parkapalooza. Invite people in to see that like, like life is good here because God is good here. Um, that we can have fun, that we can be like kind of normal, but also that we can be kind of abnormal because Christians are supposed to like love people even that are unlovable and, and be forgiving and kind when forgiveness and kindness isn't called for. Invite people next Sunday. Next Sunday we're going to hear from someone else about how um, we're called to be servants of God, and I couldn't be more excited to hear that. When you have barbecues, when you have parties, when you have people over, when you go out to dinner with people, don't just go out with your Christian friends or don't just invite Christian friends over. Invite other people over too. Um, let them be exposed to like what Jesus is all about through our relationship, through our community. And people will see that and say, I kind of want to be a part of that too. And it's not, you know, it's not a trick. It's not manipulative. It's just you love them. You love them the way God's lo God loves them. And so you want to share with them. Caring, sharing, inviting, um, it's, not, it's not rocket science. It should be part of our everyday life. It could actually look very ordinary, but through these very ordinary things, God, God will do the extraordinary. When you're able to go out into the world and be a missionary like this, in any of these three ways, God makes his appeal through us. We can't control what God does, but God is going to make his appeal through us um, even, even sometimes in spite of us. And there's, there's a lot more we could say about this, uh, but this is a good place to begin. Boots on the ground, tomorrow morning, this afternoon, real achievable ways to live out this identity of being a missionary today. And if we do this, if we do this together, who knows what God can do uh, through this community to reach this world that he desperately loves and that he gave himself for. So let's pray together that God, um, that God would do this through us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, your grace first. We thank you for the way that you have reconciled the world to yourself, and that certainly means us, that your love um, expands past any bounds we can try to put on it. We pray, God, that you would um, help us to walk into this world as your missionaries, help us to walk into this world as your ambassadors, as people who are bringing this message of good news to the world around Lord, help us to see ourselves this way so that we can actually live this way. 
God, um, if there are things that prevent us from being missionaries, if there are things that get in the way, that hold us back, we pray that you would help us to get rid of those things, help us to put them aside and to trust in you instead. We pray, God, that you would um, give us courage, give us confidence where we don't have any, give us faith, help us to remember that it's really you that works and not us, but help us to actually use, use us, use ourselves, our real selves, to reach people. We pray that you would do that, Lord. We pray that you would give us the words to say and the ways to say them. Help us to um, speak when the opportunity is right and help us to know when that time is. Lord, and continue to make it so that this community, whether it's on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday evenings in community groups or um, just in the relationships that we enjoy with one another, make it so that this community is continually and uh, in, uh, increasingly um, a welcoming, loving, friendly, uh, and joy-filled community that reflects your love for the world around. So that when people come in and they see us, um, they see you, God. They don't see us. We ask you, God, that you'll be with us now as we continue to worship and send us out of here to be your missionaries. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.